Hey there, you're listening to What the Riff? Join us as we remember the great rock and roll hits from a month between 1965 and 1995. We're going to riff on all things about the bands, the members, and the goings-on during that time. We hope to inspire you to find and download the songs you hear today, whether you're fans who forgot about some of these tracks or maybe never even heard them before. Check out our blog at whattheriff.com or follow us on Facebook at What the Riff. Here's a shout-out to our sponsors, Right Column Financial, offering CFO and bookkeeping services for small business, Stanton Electric, a commercial electrical specialist, and Marbury Creative Group, a brand development agency that helps companies tell it better. So let's turn up the volume and enjoy this episode of What the Riff? 900 die in a flood in Pakistan. Mae Jemison is the first African-American woman to go into space, and a Pakistan Airbus A300 crashes into the mountains of Kathmandu, 167 die. This is September 1992, and you're listening to What the Riff. I'm Wayne. I'm Rob. I'm Brian. And I'm Bruce. And Brian brings us this album. What you got, Brian? I'm afraid, Dave. What does that come from, guys? That 2001, like, A Space Odyssey. That's right. Stanley Kubrick. Stanley Kubrick. Gentlemen, this is Roger Waters. And we all know who Roger Waters is. One of the founding members of the group, Pink Floyd. Oh, by the way, which one's Pink? That's right. I love that piano riff right there. That's why I include this. Just, just a simple piano. This is a very quiet start to what the rest. It is indeed. So why don't you just mellow back and listen to the sounds. No, I'm sorry. I'm got on my adult radio there. Here we go. <laughs> no, this album is called Amused to Death, and this is his third studio album as a solo artist. This album, gentlemen, took five years to produce and release. So it's really a 1987 album. That's when it started production, <laughs> and that's when he started writing. That was the Radio Chaos tour, wasn't it, that he, he did? He did. He, well, remember, too, he had his previous albums were Radio Chaos and the pros and cons of hitchhiking. Mm. All of them are all themes. So he's a kind of a progressive rock yeah. you know, guy, but he's also very politically active, a progressive politically active person. So this, uh, the, the entire Don't album is, on a pile of stone. is basically what people are seeing on TV. So, what do you, you know, when you think head. about the things you see on TV, we all interpret it in our way. Are we? We are very selective in what Strings we can see and what we want to watch. But he's just kind of covering what we all are seeing and what it means to him. Does that make sense? So he's talking about the monkey sat on the pile of stone. Is that still from 2001: A Space Odyssey? He it, said he looked at the bone in his hand. I mean, was well, that is? Yeah, it, the, he the, looked up the, at the stars. Yeah, I mean, he talked about. He thought himself, memory is a stranger. To memory is a stranger. History is for fools. Man is a tool in the, in the hands of the God History Almighty. Is for fools. So basically, pretty deep. Yeah, it, it, it's very philosophical. It's very political. Sort of like Final Cut from Pink Floyd, that last album. It does. It feels very much like the Final Cut. It's interesting you mention that, way because Roger Waters refers to this album as the trifecta. You've got The Wall, you've got Final Cut, and then this one that basically he would combine into a set and be completely complete, if you will. I really was not familiar with this album. philosophical views. What? I'm not really familiar with this album as much because, I mean, really, I went to the Radio Chaos tour and it was like... 
you know, it, it was it was mostly his music, not not yeah. really much of the Pink Floyd music, and I was kind of obviously disappointed, and because we went at a later time to go see the Pink Floyd, or not the uh, the Wall concert with Roger Waters, yeah. and I've got tickets to the next Roger Waters concert yeah. whenever that comes around. Well, let's go back a little bit into history, though. Roger Waters, at the end of the Animals tour, this is back in the mid-70s, 77, 78, he had a terrible experience at, at the Montreal concert. He played in the Olympic Stadium, and this bloke, as he said, was off to the, the stage and just constantly actually just screaming and yelling at him, and it got him so mad that he actually spat on him. And it impacted him. He says, I, at that point, I felt a complete disconnect with my audience. Hmm. Thus, the creation of the idea of the wall. The wall. Oh, okay. So he had two projects, and of course, the band's relationship at that time was very divided. You had Gilmore on one side, of course, and you had Roger Waters on the other one. And poor Nick Mason was just kind of playing as best he could, uh, you know, an arbitrator between the two. Rick Wright was with kind of on the on Gilmore side. You know, they just they got tired of Roger Waters' stuff, and so what happened was. You had Roger Waters came to him and said, I've got two projects here I'm working on. And he said, one of them was The Wall. The other one was Radio, or uh, excuse me, The Pros and Cons of Hitchhiking. Mm-hmm. He goes, which ones do you want? you want? I'm doing one solo and we'll do the other one. So they looked at it and immediately they looked at it and we'll do The Wall. So you can see his influence was just already turning and turning. And so they did The Wall as a group. And then, the, of course, essentially like we talked about the final cut was part of that. And then he did Radio Chaos as a solo. So that was, like I said, late 70s. And then you had the final cut was released in 83. You had the huge breakup. And then you had uh, the lawsuits. That Roger Waters wanted to take the, the name Pink Floyd. Mm-hmm. But Gilmore fought against him one. So they carried on with Pink Floyd. Then he went complete solo. And he was a very angry and very, very bitter man. Oh, they're still kind of bitter at each other. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying, I don't know that there's ever been a time I've been familiar with Roger Waters that he hasn't been bitter. Yeah. And so after years of therapy, now the last time he went on the wall, he was talking about how much he's gotten over that. And well, I hope that's true, but he can still. They didn't want to play as a group again. Of course, yeah. now we can. Yeah. Uh, since we're passing one of the members. Look at these right here. Yeah, what is this one? This is. Bravia being out of range. Now, this is influenced by the Gulf War. You remember that? Bravia being out of range. What were, they, what were we doing? We were firing missiles from aircraft ca- or from uh, battleships or from other bases uh, hundreds of thousands of miles away. Uh-huh. So he just he got so upset about that that, you know, cruise missiles were going through town and going down streets and blowing up their targets. Hmm. So basically he just... What's, what's brave about that? What's noble about that? Just right. Uh, oh, man, well, who the hell are you going to kill next? Guess who that's for? George H.W. Bush. Hmm. The, um, the, the keyboards and the sound in the background is making me think of somebody else, but I can't quite figure it out. I think it could be Genesis, maybe. Tony Banks. Well, it's got that Hammond organ sound, doesn't it? Yeah. This is this is the wall. Right, exactly. So there's some references going back. But guess who's playing guitar for most of these songs for him in this album? Does the name Jeff Beck sound familiar? Really? Oh, yeah. I did not Absolutely. know that. Absolutely. So he had a, 
Andy Fairweather Low. I don't know if you care from, are familiar with Andy Fairweather Low. He's a very prominent musician. He can play many instruments, and he's played with Roger Waters a lot. And he's on this album as well. And Roger Waters refers to Andy Fairweather Low as really the nucleus of his band, which is quite a compliment if you well, think if about Jeff it. Jeff Beck was on this. He should have said it was Roger Waters and Jeff Beck. I'm, <laughs> I'm telling you, it would have sold more copies. <laughs> yeah. Well, Maybe. I, well, it, it's a good point, too, because, I mean, at this point, Roger Waters is, you know, is basically rock celebrity. So I imagine he could get just about anybody he wanted to yeah. to perform on his uh, solo project. But uh, uh, this has, this song here, Bravey Ben and Rings, I looked over Jordan and what did I see? A U.S. Marine looking back in sheep. Uh, Roger Waters sings, I've looked over Jordan and I've seen. Things are not what they seem. Mm-hmm. So I don't. If you ever go back and listen to that on on the Animals album, so he goes and there's a guitar lick back in there too. Hmm. Well, this is definitely like uh, one of these progressive albums that just. I mean, we talked about the length of the song. In fact, to let you guys know, on listening in, we opted to just cover three songs on here because this podcast was going to be almost an hour long uh, because some of these are eight, nine minutes long. Yeah. This one's uh, 4.45, and the previous one was almost six minutes. So, Absolutely. So that, I think I missed the name of the first, uh, the first the song. The first song was called Perfect Sense. It all makes perfect sense. Ah, uh, okay. And, and going back to that one, of course, I know I got caught up in the history of Roger Waters, but Perfect Sense was essentially about everything. It, it makes sense now because it's all about dollars and cents, pounds, shillings, and pence. Ah. So it's not about territory or anything. It's all about the money. Gotcha. So now we're going to the third one, and what's this one, Brian? This is the title track. This is called Amused to Death. And this has got some clips and things. And as we know, Pink Floyd, and, and it's, it's now especially Roger Waters, love to use sound clips, less sound effects. And this album was actually re-released in 2015 when they were actually able to adapt into 5-1 surround sound. Oh. And, and you know, d- highly digitize the sound quality. And so it actually won in 2016 some awards for its sound effects and some other things that mm-hmm. were, once they re-released and re-engineered it. So what sound effects were they mainly using? A lot of just sound clips that you off a of TV. Oh, so it was mainly sampling. TV stuff. Yeah. Sampling. And um, Sampling, yeah, that's a good point. And, yeah, and, and just being surround, surround sound, 3D, things like that, that uh, he really took advantage of that. Uh, and, if, and, and you mentioned too, Wayne, you and I saw him in concert when he did The Wall in 2010. And I don't know if you guys saw that show, but it was, technology-wise, it was incredible how he was able, he would actually have, you know, a lot of stuff on the wall that he would, you know, broadcast, and it was like watching TV on the wall. And then he'd have surround sound in the the arena, and you'd hear it over there, you'd hear something behind you, you'd hear something in front or whatever, it was just... So, he was really into just kind of if you will, reporting on pop culture. Like, what's going on in pop culture? What are people watching? What are they talking about? Um, that's exactly Let right. me comment on that. It's a, if you, you know what? That's a perfect thing. That's a great analogy because essentially if you want to call the Amused to Death a, a commentary on the culture at the time, I think that's a, a pretty accurate statement. According to, Commentary according to Roger Waters. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I've got some friends who are just huge Pink Floyd fans, and I appreciate them, but I've not been that big of a Pink Floyd fan. And I think it's because I just have this idea that they're just uh, 
they're just not happy. It's just not, it's just a sad. It's a little depressing. Depressing, maybe yes. And that's a good point because my wife and I have, you know, we we share a lot of the same interests. But I, as as you point, I'm a, I'm a huge Pink Floyd fan. But I'm the first to say these the lyrics are very depressing. Mm-hmm. And I, and she'll say, "What? You know?" I say, "Honey, I listen to it for the music, which I really do. I don't yeah. subscribe at all to his progressive views." Uh, but it's just interesting to hear what he's talking about. But the music to me is worth is the the magnet. I would agree with that. My thing has always been with Pink Floyd. It seems like ever since Sid Barrett went insane, that 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 has kind of characterized the band from from there on. They're mm-hmm. they're continually looking back on on sanity or lack thereof. You know, and, and but I do. I'm the same way as you, Brian. I love their music, um, but. You got to be careful. I can't sit through an entire session of the wall because I'm going to get depressed. <laughs> right. And the worms ate into his brain. <laughs> but you know what? I have to share this experience with you guys. Yesterday, I went to the post office, and and obviously this is unscripted or anything, but it's just an experience. I was wearing my Pink Floyd the Wall shirt, so I, I approached the, uh, the 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 window there, and the guy goes, "Oh man, that's that's my favorite." <laughs> I go, well, you know, it's cool. I, I, I'm glad you said it because I used to, I, I felt you a connected through nights. the glass. I did. I did. I said, I, you told I, him I, about I, our podcast, right? I, I did. And I said, uh, I, you know, I, I, I went to sleep many a night listening to this album and, you know, fell asleep. He goes, and he started quoting lyrics. Wow. And, and I, he, he would quote me a lyric. I would quote him the second one. And he would quote the third one. So it's amazing how you, just that short period of time, you connect to somebody through music. Well, that's how we got started. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was in Sunday say, school. That's, that's why we, we became What the Riff. Yeah. Because we all love music from this period uh, and, yeah. and whenever. And exactly. we quote lyrics at most inappropriate times. <laughs> you know, I, that's one of my favorite things, too, on our Facebook page. When people, like, Wayne will post something on there and some people will start posting the next lyric and then the next lyric and then the next lyric. It's a lot of fun. It does connect you for sure. Yeah, but the thing about this song to amuse the death, but basically what he's saying is we've basically amused, this species has amused itself to death because we watched the tragedy unfold. We, we did as we were told. And so basically it was the greatest show on earth. He's talking about Pink Floyd. Oh, really? But then it was over. Because we all got our racing cars. We had our last few jars of caviar. <laughs> so... It came to an end. So he definitely does a lot of talking in his music. You know, not he's not just singing. He's kind of telling the story and talking through it all. Well, as I mentioned, you know, obviously Pink Floyd's no more. Really, there wasn't much of a Pink Floyd even after the, the Wall album. I think they had four concerts. Of yes. that, that was it. And so, really, you had to go back to the Animals tour to really actually go see him. So you're talking about. 1978. So, really, the only time you can go see anything sort of like that is seeing him in concert, Roger Waters in concert, or going to see David Gilmore, or really now is the time to start seeing these, um, I guess what do you call them, cover groups or whatever yeah. else. And we went to one of them uh, probably about Australia a year and a half ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's there's tons of them out there, but go see those. Those guys really take dedicated time to try to hit those notes yeah. of, the, of those songs 
and it is a great greatest hits of Pink yeah. Floyd. Now, I am gonna I am gonna disagree with you on this because I went to the uh, momentary lapse of reason. Yeah, that was an '86 concert. Yeah. Yep. That was really good. I mm-hmm. thought I thought that was very good. And then I didn't see the Division Bell, but there are songs on the Division yep. Bell that are quite good. Yeah. And I saw that tour. I did not see but Momentary Lapse of Reasons. That was without Roger. Right. It was without Roger Waters. Yeah, so, but right. I, I saw that tour, too. I mean, that was one of my, I mean, that was a great uh, concert to see. I mean, it, was, mm-hmm. it just blew me away. But, once again, it, it's sort of, you just sort of felt a little cheated there. You didn't have well, I think it's the entire like, group. And we've talked about this before, the idea that a lot of these bands, you've got someone who's kind of the salt of the band you don't need much of it but it really adds adds that creativity and flavor like john lennon and paul mccartney mm-hmm. and the yeah. beatles uh, i mean then you, van halen yep. i mean you, know, you have people who are on two sides of, of of that same coin but to me i i could not get into the sammy, sammy hagar. hagar version yeah well, and I think, too, you have to think about the, the friction. Rick Wright, who, of course, is the keyboardist and one of the original members, was fired by Roger Waters during the making of The Wall because there was some dispute about revenue distribution because he wrote the whole thing. He wanted more of the, the proceeds. And, you know, Gilmore and, and, and Nick Mason, well, actually, it was Roger Waters and Dave Gilmore did all the writing and producing. So they got more of the cut, and Mason... The drummer agreed to it, but Rick Wright wouldn't agree to it, so he got fired. Hmm. I mean, that's how bad things were. Yeah. And hmm. so, once to what you're talking about the momentary lapse of reason, he played as a, you know, a contract or a contract musician until they both Mason and, and Gilmore said, "Yeah, you come on back." Hmm. So that's they had to smooth that relationship first in order for the three of them to continue. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it was bad. I mean, I don't think people realize how bad that relationship was. And then, as you said earlier, Wayne, it carried over and it lingered until basically 2005 when they did uh, Live 8. Yeah. And they reunited for the first time in 24 and years. You just, you, actually, that's when I, you actually saw some joy, I yeah. think, in their eyes. They looked at each other and they just go, we had something. And though they didn't go further on with that. But, yeah, I remember seeing that and seeing yeah. Roger Waters' eyes and he just was like, I cried. Yeah. I'll be the first. I'm, I'm going to be honest. When they did that, and they all, to get, at the end, they, they got together, and I got chills talking about it, and they all, all hugged at the end, I cried. I just thought, I, I thought I'd never see it. But this has been Amused to Death. If you, uh, if you like Pink Floyd and certainly Roger Waters, I'd, I recommend that you listen to it. Never had heard it before. Yeah. Thanks for Neither bringing it. Neither had I. That was a good pick. Yeah. Appreciate that. Are those crickets in the background? All kind of sound effects. Uh, getting me tired going to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> it's my backyard. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll we'll ramp it up no a little frogs, bit. No though. We'll ramp it up a little bit here. We're going to move on to our entertainment track brought to us by Right Column Financial. And we've got an interesting, uh, we got a song here from a soundtrack. The soundtrack is Singles. And they say it's a romantic comedy, but, I mean, it was kind of a little dour, too. I remember watching it. Uh, Bridget Fonda was in it, Campbell Scott, uh, Matt Dillon. I've actually met Matt Dillon before. It was, it was a, at, at, really? At, yeah, at New Orleans Jazz Fest. It was, it was one of those things. It's, you know, we're at the Conga Bonga stage or whatever it was, and, and just we're just having a good time and everything, and kind of look over and standing right next to me is Matt Dillon. How about that? And just go, hey, man, how's it going? He's just kind of like, but he's there doing the same thing we are, so just having a good time. So, But, yeah. You know, he was in this movie. Uh, there was tons 
of musicians from this grunge time. This is takes place in Seattle. This is when grunge just kicked butt. This is kicking my butt because yeah. I love Allison Chains. Yeah. I'm sorry. So this is Allison Chains uh-huh. Wood. And we were trying to pick. I was trying to pick which one songs, and I'm sitting there going, "Pro Jam." And I go, "Alice Chains." I'm just going, "Oh my goodness!" I go, "I can't pick one." Somebody else. I go, "A song off of singles." Yeah, <laughs> I just love it. I mean, this is just. This is, we always talk about songs that, you know, where the, you get the lead foot if you're in the car. This is one for me. Yeah. Well, this movie was uh, written, co-produced, and directed by Cameron Crowe, and he's done so many good yeah. movies back in the '90s. Uh, if, if he's got his name next to it, go see it. It's, it's really, really is very good. Uh, other movies that came out, remember Captain Ron? It was no. a comedy film with Kurt Russell. He's just sort of a, a quirky sailor, and since I'm a captain of my own boat now. <laughs> and, and you identify. I identify being quirky. <laughs> Martin Short was uh, the opposite, you know, middle-class guy who wanted to sail a yacht and and throughout the Caribbean with his family and of course you know it's just comedy ensues another movie was South Central it was a crime drama takes place guess where LA <laughs> South Central LA yes about it's about the the bloods and the crips last of the Mohicans now there are people that just just can not not love this movie. Yeah. I watched it and I went, I don't see what the big deal was. But guys, it was it was a huge movie at yeah. the time. But. Daniel Day-Lewis. Uh, was that his big premiere? That big was his yes. premiere. That was what yes. kind of propelled him. It's about the French and Indian War. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty brutal, too. At least it did show the brutality of both sides. I mean, a lot of people are that Kumbia stuff with the American Indian and also the Canadian Indian at the time. But it was... Uh, it showed some really graphic stuff there. But you know what? I, I have to say, I, I have to t- tip my hat to him because Daniel Day-Lewis, to me, is one of the finest actors you know, of our time because he is a phenomenal. What was that that he won the award? My Left. Uh, my Left Foot. Yeah, yeah, My Left Foot is a phenomenal movie. But those are some of the things that were happening in film of September 1992. Uh, we'll get back into TV a little bit later on at the end, but now... Since we're ending this song, we're now going to go off to staff picks. And our first staff pick is going to come from Rob. And yes, Rob, indeed. what you got? So I've got one. It, it's a little bit soft, but you'll definitely remember it from September of 1992. I already recognize it. Mm. This is Constant Craving. It was written by Katie Lang and Ben Mink. This was off her second album, Ingenue. And her other hit on there was called Miss Chatelaine. That's one where she actually looked like a woman. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Most of her videos, I mean, literally, she was very androgynous. Okay. But on this one, this is is an interesting video. Uh, It's kind of, I was looking through notes on where it came from, and it it was a recreation of this play that uh, Samuel Beckett wrote called Waiting for Godot. And from, from 1953, so it's in black and white, yep. and it's kind of vaudeville look and all that. Yep. But Katie Lang, her name is always all lowercase, which mm-hmm. I think is interesting. E.E. Yeah. E. Cummings style. Yeah. yeah, right. So she was born Catherine Dawn Lang in 1961. She's Canadian, and she's definitely, you can hear it, she's got this country feel 
to her. Well, this is the folk rock era. This yeah. is yeah. sort of, I mean, you kind of started off with Suzanne Vega and, and Tori Amos, and then the Indigo Girls exploded at this time. Uh, and, I mean... Sean uh, Colvin. Yeah, exactly. But th- you started had this underbelly. You had the grunge way up here just going nuts. Then you had this underbelly of a little bit more take it easy. Uh, we're we're going to relax and, and have a little bit else, but we're going to talk about you know situations that people have, both relationships and and just dealing with the world. Yeah, I mean this is a very very melancholy, isn't it? I love the but I, I I just love the chorus, love the harmonies on the chorus. I I read that uh, she became fascinated with Patsy Cline. I can oh, hear okay. I can hear Patsy Cline's voice in her. Yes, she decided at that point that she was going to become a professional singer, and uh, she formed a tribute band, a Patsy Cline tribute band called the Reclines. Hmm. <laughs> That's a good name, the Reclines. Wow, she, I mean, I mean, this is something from the '50s, and this is 40 years later in the '90s. So I probably was in the '80s when she did the. Yeah, that the, was in 1983 when they yeah. started the Reclines. So, so 30 years later, suddenly you want to do something of, of a woman that really hate to say it, but was really forgotten in the past. There's not unless you were a diehard country person, you really didn't know who Patsy Cline because obviously we started having the Garth Brooks and the other. Eddie Rabbit type country coming along the pop country and all the really hardcore country back in the day was 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 being shoved to the side. But if you talk if you talk to somebody like a Loretta Lynn, one of the queens of country music, mm-hmm. she absolutely adored Patsy Cline. She says they will the best compliment I ever heard. She said there will never ever be another Patsy Cline. Yeah. Well, that you can definitely hear it I in hear Katie it, Lang's yeah. music. Katie Lang. So she was collaborating uh, with Tony Bennett, Elton John, The Killers, Ann Murray, Ann Wilson, and Roy Orbison. So hmm. she got a huge uh, career boost when um, she did a duet with Roy Orbison called uh, Crying. It was I, I his. remember that. And they won the Grammy Award for Best Country Collaboration with Vocals in 1989. And I think that's probably what helped her get to where she was like i said this is her this is her biggest hit from her second album yeah and this uh this went made it up to number 38 it was her only u.s top 40 hit and it made the only that high? only 38 but i remember hearing it all the time back I then i still hear it though rob i still well, hear it on the true. radio well, that it may longevity. be it. it may not have had it may not have had the popularity at the time that we remember but it had that staying power yes oh she played in the closing ceremonies in the 1988 Winter Olympics in Calgary and the opening ceremony in the 2010 Winter Olympics in Vancouver. I thought that was oh, interesting. Well, I have a she's real Canadian, so they should have had Rush though. They should have had Getty Lee throwing a or or, or Neil Peart throwing a flaming drumstick. Uh, <laughs> stick that would have done. Oh it. me, yes. It all comes back to Rush, doesn't it? It absolutely okay, does. Okay, Wayne, you gonna crank us up a little bit again? Oh, we're just gonna have some fun. This is sort of. I, you know, I do that Manchester sound, but it's really not Manchester. But this is one of those songs that's not grunge, but this is that alternative feel. And this is a happy grunge song. Exactly. Because where are we going, guys? Disneyland. That's right. You guys remember, this is Disneyland by Dada. And you guys remember when this song came out? You know why they did this song? You guys remember? Where are you going? You just won the Super Bowl. That's right. I'm going, going to, to Disneyland. Disneyland. That's right. So 
obviously Disney had a big promotion for all these MVPs, and after they won the MVP, whatever was usually it was like the Super Bowl they'd come in after the fact and almost immediately they did an instant commercial and it was after he got the MVP he was pulled to the side says I'm going to Disneyland and then then three minutes later there's a commercial with him saying I'm going to Disneyland so but uh yeah but this song kind of makes fun of that so uh it was it was I guess a shameless uh take off of, of that entire thing so the band this is their first uh single off the debut album puzzle they're out of la um i just kind of love the different different things they're talking about you know he just says i just tossed a fifth of gin i'm going to disneyland <laughs> i'm sorry if you've got a fifth of gin in you and you're at disneyland just don't get in any get on the matterhorn or anything <laughs> i just got cuffed again i'm going to disneyland <laughs> i heard it. one of the lines was i just met president george i know i just flipped off president. oh i just flipped off president yeah, george yeah. okay yeah i mean uh shot my gun into the night I just robbed a grocery store. I just saw a good man die. Kicked my ass out of school. Rolled me out into the street. So, was this their only hit? No, they've had other hits. Um, they, uh, they. This is one of those uh, hits that just sort of uh, was the ones that popped them up. I had this album. I probably have about four or five songs off this album on my playlist. Oh. Some of the deeper cuts are aren't that great, but you know, there's there's a good good bit of them when I bought it. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing is they used the, um, that stop motion technique on this on this video. Oh, similar, I love that. Similar to Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer. Yeah, I love that. You know, I'm not a huge grunge fan, but I like this sound. It's got, uh, I don't know, the, the chord progressions are a little bit interesting. I, I don't know what it is, but I, I, I like this kind of sound. Well, they're also singing up in a different register and a little happier. Well, yeah, there's that. It's the ha- like you were saying <laughs> no, earlier, it's, it's like, the happy no, 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 no. It's not that. It's yeah. So what you're saying, Rob, is depending on the pitch determines the uh, the, yeah. the, the brightness of the I song. I mean, you can tell that they've got their hand, you know, their heads up <laughs> singing. You know, they're not they're, they're not the back, looking down. The back's not to the crowd. They're right. doing the, uh, the, the the flexing of, of the uh, midsection like Steve Perry to get those high registers. So, huh? how do you spell Disneyland? Oh, it's D I Z N E L A N D. So that's the way they spell it. So they probably some sort of copyright thing. I'm seeing it on D I Z Z K N E E, like a knee, like right. Diz, and then your knee. Well, you know, that's I'm kind of wondered about that through the years how they avoided getting a cease and desist from Walt Disney World because they probably that, had the Disney company is very serious about their trademark. All right, Dada is actually an art movement. It's sort of an avant-garde yep. thing. So that's where they got the name from, uh, just basically rejecting logic, reason, and uh, the modern capitalist society. So just what nonsense and irrationality. So this sort of has both things. They actually had a song on the Brady Bunch movie, which was interesting. So. <laughs> well, that says a lot right there. So now we're going to move on to our next staff pick, and we're going to Bruce. This is a little bit more heavier here. I'm going to crank it up just a is little it? bit. Oh. So this is Start the Car by Jude Cole. And it's the opening title. It's the opening track, and it's the title track from his third stu- third solo album. So he's a singer-songwriter. Um, 
and it was kind of like we were talking about before. So right now, in 92, hair bands are kind of on the decline. Grunge is on the rise. But you've got this undercurrent going on of kind of a, a folk sound. Uh, in this case, it's not so much folk as much as it is blues, maybe heartland kind of music. You get that, get, that, uh, get that organ coming in. And uh, so that's kind of where he's fitting in. It's a more of a heartland, kind of a Bruce Springsteen, John Mellencamp. I'm hearing sound. Driving and Crying. Of course, that's a local group. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm hearing that type of feel because it's not, like you said, it wasn't grunge. Right, right. This is this is much more blues oriented, um, but uh, it's it, it's an interesting sound. It's um, the lyrics are about basically, you know, I got to get out of town. Got, we're 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 done with this. But it's more of a, it's not a pleading, you know, what are we going to do? It's more of a, all right, we're going to leave this place with squalling tires. You know, it's 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 time. People dying on the street sure don't make the news you know that kind of mm. sound it says this is this this city is just going to eat us up i could um i could hear um this being sung by don henley okay yeah i can see that I mean, the some lyrics of some of the some of the way he's singing mm-hmm. i could definitely hear him singing it i think yeah I'm got a sorry. little bit of that California country, doesn't it? I, I kind of put this in that Kenny Way Shepherd or uh, the Jeff Healy Band type, type yep. music. Yep. Steve Ray Vaughan, maybe. So yeah. what else? What else did uh, Jude Cole do? Well, you know, he did he did several albums, but by the time he got he continued his solo career until about year two thousand, and then he put his stuff aside, and he started working as a manager, producer, and co-writer for the band Lifehouse. And uh, so he also co-founded the music label Ironworks hmm. with Kiefer Sutherland. Oh, so interesting. Who has done some uh, music himself. Yes. I did not realize that until I saw an interview. I didn't know that. I didn't either until I saw an interview a couple of years ago that he's actually getting, I think it's into progressive, not progressive, but uh, country and or progressive country, kind of a blend. Mm-hmm. Well, top hits of September 1992, End of the Road. Boys to Men. Don't know that song. Don't They've care to hear never it. made it onto what to do. <laughs> baby, baby, baby. TLC. Now I remember that song. Don't care to hear it again either. <laughs> Humping around. Bobby Brown. Ditto. November Rain. Guns N' Roses. Now I'll hear it again and hear it again and hear it again. The stage. Shakespeare's sister. I don't remember that song. So that may be one. You have to look and see what that was. Some things that were happening in music of September 1992. We've talked about Harry Nilsson before, but he made a rare and his final concert appearance joining Ringo Starr and his all-star band for a version of Without You at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas. So, And if you get a chance, Ringo Starr is touring with his yeah. all-star band. And it is literally an all-star band. You got Joe Walsh. You got, you got several people that come up, and they'll each one of them come up and play their songs. And so... It may just be one or two hits from that guy, but I would suggest going seeing it anytime you can. That is an interesting observation because I had never really paid attention to Ringo Starr and the All Star Band uh, until, but just a couple of years ago, I started looking at, I suppose, with what the riff, you know, who all had participated in that. And there are some outstanding musicians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jackson Brown reportedly beats his girlfriend, Daryl Hannah. 
Okay. That's not and good. And Frank Zappa makes his final professional appearance. He conducts the Ensemble Modern at the Frankfurt Festival in Germany. And he was seriously ill at the time with yeah. pancreatic yeah. cancer and would, would he die looked terrible. after. Yeah. He was awful. I mean, I don't know why they put him out, but he looked terrible. All right. All right. We're going to move on to our last staff pick, and this one's going to go to Brian. And Brian... We kind of consider <laughs> your staff pick as, as as safe, but of course you always pick the safe one because oh, you know. it's you, you. had too much research for the last one. How can you turn down another Canadian act since we're doing a Canadian theme today? I don't even know. <laughs> Our friend Brian Adams. Yes. Everybody remember this song? What a great song. Huh? I just remember at the, this is the Go Get the Beer song. Oh, I went, I, that's cool. a concert I went to. The Go Get the oh, Beer my song. Goodness. Oh, my goodness. This is from Waking Up the Neighbors album. That's a great name for an album, isn't it? Go Get the Beer? <laughs> Waking Up the Neighbors to Go Get, the, get the, beer. the Beer. I like that. GGTB. Yes. No, but if you look at the album cover, he's... he's He's got his little megaphone in his hand. Yeah. He's, you know, shouting at the neighbors. But this is actually his fifth single release off of this album. Off of this wow. album. Wow. Yeah. Well, he's, for 10 years there, Brian Adams, every album he was putting out from Cuts Like a Knife to, to this just was hey, tremendous. The, the What the Riff episode that Brian did on mm-hmm. Brian Adams yeah. is yeah. one of the highest ranking yeah. What the Riffs downloads. Well, there you go. Which just blows my mind. I like Brian Adams, but that's just funny to me. Well, you know, it's it's interesting you say that because this, you know, being Canadian, of course, he got his music started when he was 16. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about that. What what were we doing at 16 other than... I actually saw a photo of him in the 70s, and his ass had hair down to almost his butt crack. Really? So it it was like... And it goes, Brian Adams in like 1975. And I went, holy crap, man. <laughs> Are you sure that wasn't fake news? Oh. But anyway, this is a, he had the, obviously he had the clout and he had not influence, I should say, that to be able to work with ever who he wanted to work with. And in this case, he got the best. Mutt Lang is who produced this album. Well, there you go. Exactly. And we all know who Mutt Lang is. But essentially, when he wrote this song originally, he wrote it with Mutt Lang and his guitarist, Jim Valance. They penned the song, and uh, it was basically a mid-tempo, kind of a U2-inspired track, and it was originally called Rescue Me. Uh-huh. And Rescue Me is, in the, it, in the, uh, the song itself, it's, you just heard it, Rescue Me, right, right there. Yeah. But Mutt took it, and basically, and, and Valance recalls it, Mutt, Mutt worked his magic. Turned our, our chorus into a verse, slowed the tempo uh, to ballad uh, speed, added a new chorus, and the song became Do I Have to Say the Words? Hmm. So, isn't that cool? Had a somebody with Mutt Lang's experience. I mean, think about it. He's producing things like ACDC. And who, I mean, he's got just a huge. Jeff Leppard. Exactly. So, he's going to slow it down to a ballad. And uh, so, it's just amazing how these guys can do things like this and it turn into gems. Mm-hmm. 
Well, back from music for September 1992, get a load of these albums that came out. I mean, these groups that had albums. I can't even, I'm not going to go name all the albums with them, but the Ramones had an album in, in September 1992. Sugar. Now, that was one of my favorite, and I think we'll probably do it, uh, Copper Blue. Uh, Toto, Ronnie Wood, The Screaming Trees, another great album. Uh, the Jayhawks. Blind Melon, we did we did yep. a uh, yeah, album pick of Blind, Blind Melon. Melon a while back. That yep. was a great. Was someone who was just barely outside the Twenty Seven Club. Um, Nine Inch Nails, Bad Company, Happy Mondays. That's one of my perks from uh, Manchester. Yeah, you got me on that one. Oh golly, got to hear that. Uh oh. <laughs> Stone Temple Pilots had their debut album, and Alice in Chains. Stone Temple Pilots is another one that was yeah. part of that yeah. grunge stuff. And Peter Gabriel, us didn't we? We did that stuff yeah. too, didn't we? We yeah. did the album. Yeah, the album. That's right. Bruce did, I think. Well, now wait a second. Peter Gabriel. So, we did Peter Gabriel. So, 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 so that's right. Yeah. yeah. The but other us. two. The other two-letter yeah. word. It that's wasn't right. his. It wasn't his name after his name. Right. Peter Gabriel. Peter Gabriel. Yeah. That was a great hey, album. Uh, Wayne, I what loved Toto us. album was it from that you said you mentioned there was a Toto album? Is that you know they it had was Kingdom of Desire? Oh, okay. So I mean, they would name theirs, you know, Toto Eleven, Toto yeah. Twelve, and all that Toto kind of five, stuff. Yeah, yeah I, I remember that. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, this is when I think music sort of. We've talked about this grunge time, you know. This '92 was that year. That, it's an inflection point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, we had we talked about Lollapalooza. That right. Was the big concert tour. And then we started having bands and different other concert tours that came after that. But I think Lollapalooza was that first one that just, you know, suddenly, I mean, like I said, half the time I don't remember half the groups I saw, but I know I had to see them. But, right. You know, I remember. Th- I know they were there. <laughs> I was getting beat up in the mosh pit at that time. I was I was much younger. Than you were a mosher? I Occasionally I would get in Did there. Did you ever get lifted up? No, no, I never got lifted up. <laughs> I was looking for the women to lift up. There. Oh, <laughs> get arrested for that! I was about to say Wayne's miniskirt wasn't short enough. For that. <laughs> yeah, sorry, you're not going for a ride. All right, well, now's the time when we want to move into our laugh track or instrumental, and so I picked a laugh track for this one. And you know, you've made it when you've become a parody, and this was the parody song that I loved the heck out. Speaking of grunge in the Seattle scene, yes, this is not Nirvana. This is Smells Like Nirvana <laughs> by Weird Al. It's really, uh, it's probably good we spoke more through the other, the past songs because this one you got to kind of listen to the lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I mean when I say the grunge that was looking I, I down. Think, I think Weird Al has hit his peak right here. This is great. Yes, but it's very clever. I have to tip my hat to him. He, he, he produced some great, great parodies. Listen. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm mumbling and I'm screaming, but I don't know what I'm singing. I got to say, though, if, if, you know, I don't know if you guys have seen the memes where it's like, can you name a group that everybody likes but you really hate? This is it for me. Nirvana is 
just really? I do not like Nirvana. Really? Never liked Nirvana. And and so I really did enjoy Weird Al's version of this song. <laughs> and it was it was very popular on MTV. Oh yeah. Well, it's funny, you know, the cover of the Nirvana album has a little baby swimming underwater. Uh-huh. And the Weird Al's in a pool. And, well, hopefully uh, you, he's not naked. Well, you can't tell. The way oh, they, okay. they angled it just right, but it's Weird Al underwater. And you're like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to see that. Oh, my goodness. That that kid's got to be 30-something years old now. He's he yeah. maybe listen to what they're up. We don't sound like Madonna. Here we are now. We're Nirvana. <laughs> Buy our albums. All right, TV in September 1992. Meryl Hemingway appears nude on the TV show Civil Wars. Hmm. I didn't remember that, but obviously it had to have something. If you say so. Yeah. The Sci-Fi Channel launches with its broadcast of Star Wars. Oh, that was their first first thing. Yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> Oprah Winfrey hosted a a, a one-hour special, Scared, Silent, Ending, and Exposing Child Abuse. Batman, the animated series premieres on Fox Kids, and other things that debuted. The Rush Limbaugh Show, yep. if you remember oh, that. Oh, yeah. That was a weekly show. Whoopi Goldberg show. That lasted not too long at all. Picket Fences. I never saw that. Never did. Um, the Ben Stiller show. Mm-hmm. Hanging with Mr. Cooper. Hmm. I watched a couple. Yeah. And the one I probably watched the most, just because I was sort of dating at the time, was Mad About You. I, I watched yeah. quite a... That, that's probably one I, I probably watched the majority of that's that. That's a good show. This is so classic. Yeah. Well, tell your friends. Join us on Facebook. Give us give us a review on iTunes. That, that helps out quite a bit. And this is What the Riff. I'm Wayne. I'm Rob. I'm Brian. And I'm Bruce. See you guys next time. Hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> Thanks for listening to What the Riff. We hope you enjoyed the songs we had on tap today. Please tell your friends about us. Check us out at whattheriff.com and follow us on Facebook. Special thanks to our sponsors, Wright Column Financial, Stanton Electric, and Marbury Creative Group. That's all for this week. See you next week on What the Riff?